Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, this week is a wild one. This week we're talking to David Thomas, the mastermind of the incredible Pear Ubu. I don't even know how you describe Pear Ubu's music. If you know it, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, I don't even know where to tell you begin. I mean, it's punk in its spirit, but it's Captain Beefheart mixed with some avant-garde music concrete weird stuff and it's a lot of like spoken word performance art uh whatever is going through david thomas's crazy creative mind that's what gets put on record and that's what's out there and it's been going on for 50 years now almost they just released last week their brand new album trouble on big beat street and i think it's like their 27th album of all time or something 28th they, they just don't stop. David's an old man now, but he's still at it. He still has tons of things to say. So we get into all of this. The thing that I find kind of interesting about artists like David is where does the, where does the impetus, the, the seed, the creative spark to make this kind of music even come from? Who thinks like this? And who thinks to put it out there? And what do the people who listen to it and love it think of it? I know what I think of it. I know how I relate to the music. But how how do they want to be? Anyway, I just find it all so fascinating. Anyone who puts themselves out there artistically the way David does, I find that fascinating. So we're kicking it off here. This is Dub Housing. This is one off, I think their second, first album, second album? I'm suddenly blanking. And it's one of their bigger tracks. But if you know Perubu, you know it's a wild ride. We talk about in the 80s, they had an album called Cloudland, produced by Stephen Haig, former guest. And that was sort of like their pop experiment. But other than that, it's been just wildness. So anyway... Check out Trouble on Big Beat Street and listen to this conversation. He's a notoriously prickly and wily guy, but we we did all right. We made it work. He called me from his home in London. Has sounded like Perubu, and I am curious. When you were like a teenager in Cleveland and you wanted to make music, is this yeah. the kind of music you imagined that you wanted to make? No, um, no, no, I. I didn't really particularly have an imagination of the kind of music. We just started out, and this is where it ended up. You know, I I liked I liked analog sound, and those are the days of the emergence of um, analog synthesizers. So I was interested in in all of that. You know, um, I imagined that that would have a you know that would have a place in it all. But no, I I. I just went, you know, I I thought, well, if I'm so smart, I can do this myself. So I started doing it, and this is where I ended up. I just feel like who <clears throat> who has songs like yours running around in their brain, even from the early days? Nobody. Most, nobody does. No. <laughs> well, most, and, say, yeah, nobody does. I mean, there's... You know, there, there's exceptional songwriters out there. I mean, we're in in the age when lots of them are dying. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know, but there are you know, all sorts of people write amazing songs. You know, it's just that for you know, like Van Dyke Park said in the interview I did with him last a couple of weeks ago. You know, art is not decoration. You know, it, um. 
you know, and it, it used to be that that um, you know there were stories to tell. Yeah. Um, very little of pop music is has anything to do with stories anymore. It's good point. You know, it's me, me, me. You know, it's basically the point that um, why I believe that country music has taken taken on the mantle of rock and roll. I mean, there, country music is you know if you drive around the country listening to you know country music because that's what you hear most of the time. Sure. You know, it's very clear that the you know that most of it, the overwhelming amount of it, is stories. You yeah. know. Um, and that's a really a significant difference in pop music. Um, I don't know what you, you know, now, of course, it's a bit ironic in that, you know, I I, I tell stories, but they're not standard narratives, you no. know, I mean, but that's just the way it works, you know. I, I can't yeah. So it's interesting that you're talking about stories because I wanted to ask you about off the new album, a song like Worried Man Blues, which kicks off with a story, basically, yeah. almost like a performance art <clears throat> performance or something. Yeah. And a lot of your songs do that. And so hearing you talk about storytelling, I can tell, like, do you write a short story and then think later, I'm going to put this into a song or no, how does it work? Just, how does it work? I cross the Mississippi on US 49, heading east. In Clarksdale, US 49 intersects Highway 61, and that is the crossroads of blues legend. Robert Johnson supposedly sold his soul to the devil. Pablo Picasso never sold his soul to the devil, but a black guy from the Delta, guess that's got to be the explanation. Anyway, on one corner is a laundromat, the devil may care quickie mat. In the window is a sign, lay it down, suds it up. Across the road is a Popeye fried chicken. I go in the drive through lane and stop at the menu board. A voice from the speaker says, How, how, how may I serve you? I, I, took a, uh, I took a trip down well, various highways. You know, I always used to take trips down highways. And, of course, I did Highway 61 and, more importantly, US 49. And, of course, US 49 and Highway 61 come together in Clarksdale in uh -huh. Mississippi. And that's it's the crossroads, you know. Yep. Um, and so when you go there, I remember very specific. I mean, there's that story. There's a laundromat on one corner, and you know, <laughs> and, and a, a Popeye fried chicken on the other corner, and you know, it's yeah. just so it just the story came to me. I I don't know. Wow. I mean, it just seemed like the obvious sort of story to tell. So I was I was describing, you know, I was describing the crossroads and. You know, naturally, it seemed to me the obvious thing is that, you know, Bob Dylan and Alan Lomax were at the counter serving and <laughs> and Muddy Waters was had the managers, you know, and Howlin' Wolf, you know, how, how, how can I <laughs> serve you, you know? I love that part. I love and that. So, um, it just seemed like that's the way the story should be. I, I retell 
I retell stories the way they yeah. should be. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I've i reinvented s- several times the history of rock music, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, in each reinvention of the history, it gets to be more accurate anyway. Because, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, no, the, the history. We get more information. The history of rock music really begins with the Carter family and and Jimmy Rogers and 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 Robert Johnson and this 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 integration, this synthesis of poor white music and poor black music led by a yodeler. I mean, you know, because they all I mean, Robert Johnson and all those guys loved Jimmy Rogers to death, you know, True. and mm-hmm. the Carter family loved Jimmy Rogers to death, you know, and so. There, there is a synthesis of, of you know, and I, you know, Greel Marcus and I had this conversation decades ago in the hallway of some Dutch festival, tracing uh, Kingston Trio back to back to the rivers of Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon, I wept when I remember you, Ozan. Uh, so yeah. all of this music stretches back. You know, hundreds of years. I'm not interested in anything that has a lifespan of 50 or 100 years. If it doesn't go back 500 years, I'm not, frankly, not interested. <laughs> you know, so um, you know, I, 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 you know, yeah, I made a study of rock music. That makes sense. Now, speaking of stories, Satan's hamster. <clears throat> um, I got to know, was that a cool name of a song that you came up? Because it doesn't say Satan's Hamster in the song. You could have named it whatever you wanted. that I was talking about to me that I was talking about a hamster in a cage, you know, yeah, and yeah. between between the bridge and the last verse, you know, the Satan's <laughs> hamster sort of thing happened. You know, <laughs> I, you know, that's just the way these songs develop. I, I tell stories, so I don't know where these, you know, I, I mean, yeah. I, I, have, I have, I have various things I want to talk about and they turn into stories, but uh-huh. The thing I I never talk about the thing that I want to talk about because that's you know that's just too obvious a thing to do. Um, right. So I I write 
I write stories that are two or three steps beyond that stage of things. That's the only that's the only secret to it. If it so, is a secret. So I was going to ask you about this whole performing things once. There is a, as you I, I'm sure know, a, an extremely heavy improvisational feel to basically all of Perubu's music, and yeah. I don't know. You were talking about there being no compositions, and I think. Are there I ever just, compositions? This oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Really? Uh, because it all feels sort of made up or uh, improvised or it reminds me of John Coltrane or something, you know? Well, I mean, the, it's with improv, you know, the things have always changed um, along the way. I, I've always been very interested in doing things more inside out than necessarily yeah. other people in the band at various times people get 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 pissed off at how i i i take their songs you know take their ideas and basically destroy them you know yeah. um but you know that's tough that's what i do and uh everybody knows it and you just gotta you know they're uh, i had also you know tom herman and i used to have all sorts of problems and finally it finally um, came to a head on All the Dogs Are Barking, where he had brought this pop song to me, what I considered a pop song, and uh -huh. I wasn't that interested in it, but I like the idea of erasing everything but the overdubs. what the song ended up being is just the overdubs well obviously tom was was not happy about that but um you know and so you know yeah at, at various points people become unhappy with the way i'm doing things but that's tough i just keep if you're if you're so unhappy and you don't believe in it anymore then you can leave yeah you know yeah um uh, I, I, you know, I've always been interested in pushing the band, you know, e pushing the band forward. Uh -huh. I, I'm not satisfied with things that I can do. I want to discover the things that we can't do. And I'm that's very well said. I'm very pleased with this band because it can basically, it's capable of anything. It really is yeah. quite a magnificent band. I love the way you said that, that, I feel like that summarizes everything and wanting to see what you can't do. Speaking of things you can't do, I want to ask you about the, about the Cloudland album, because I had Stephen Haig on here last year and we talked oh. about it a little bit. And um, 
my understanding is that someone just challenged you to make a pop record and you proved that you could. I'm not sure that that's specifically the story. Okay, uh, that's what I but, read. But, you know, but, but no, I mean, the, Fontana was interested in spending money and interested in hooking us up with with um, somebody like Stephen Haig, who was a fan, but who was also highly successful as yeah. a as a record producer, certainly in the '80s, and. Uh-huh. Um, um, and this sounded like a like a good idea. I I I thought we needed a producer at that point um, because it was just becoming too chaotic internally doing things. And um, I wanted to work with a producer, and Fontana was willing to spend vast sums of money. Gosh. You know, Stephen Haig. I mean, and so. I was like, yeah, all right, let's see what'll happen. I, you know, I, I, you know, I imagined it probably would be a more pop record, but I didn't think about it in terms of, oh, let's do a pop record. I just thought they want to spend the money and Stephen Haig wants to produce it. So let's see what's going to happen. That was basically as far as I took it. But I got to push back on that a little, David, because those songs are pop songs, and that is not what Perubu does. I mean, they, they, you you would have you had I mean, to have I, written differently. I think if you sit there and compare them to any other songs from any other particular period, for the most part, you know, they would they would be very similar. It's just the way you record them, you know? Um, so you think Stephen Haig turned them into pop songs? You didn't go in with the intention of writing pop songs, even though I think well, Alan Ravenstein wrote I don't know. Them. I don't remember what in the world our intention was, you know? We oh, don't, okay. We don't, we don't have intentions, you know, in that sense of the word. Uh-huh. Uh, no, I mean, I'm sure a certain amount of, you know, see, see, he would, you know, he would spend an awful lot of time lining up the drums so that uh-huh. they were all, you know, they were all in time. And, and you know, he would go through and edit beats one at a time. And you'd have two 24-track analog tape machines wired, you know, synced with each other. And he'd shift the beat, you know, and move a beat forward and moving uh-huh. it back endlessly hour after hour and i i watched every bit of it i was fascinated by it yeah um so if, if you didn't sit, sit there and shift every beat uh, they would probably sound okay it's weird as anything else and okay. you know and and so it just you know and he would make sure that the the, the the vocals and the backing vocals all lined up and and were you know in tune and things yeah. like that that we normally don't pay any attention to uh-huh. um and so 
I think it was sort of a, a question, a matter of a he was providing the he was providing, for want of a better word, the gloss, the refinement, uh -huh. and we sort of went went along with the refinement. We thought, oh, all right, well, we can we can you know so. You know, we had we did all these harmonies. Now, the thing that you don't understand that almost nobody except the few people in the band don't understand is that my flesh harmonies make my flesh crawl. I really, I really, find them, oh, yeah, I find them ugly. I, I find them <laughs> so you know, you're sitting there going, Oh, well, I, they're all harmonizing, yeah. But for me, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know. You're, Clawing your nails on a, on a chalkboard, you know. So my interpretation of it is entirely different from what you know what other yeah. people are interpreting. <laughs> That's so you. Um, okay. Well, then, uh, what was it like then making videos? Like, there's a video to "Waiting for Mary" and stuff, and you've you've always been. There's always been a performance art aspect to yeah. what you do. And Johnny Dromet, the guy who just did almost all of our art for decades, um, was into making them, and they were into paying him to make them. And so, you know, it was just like, all right, well, let's yeah. do this. You know, I mean, it, it it didn't involve a lot of thought, and mainly it was, you know, we just said to Johnny, "Go ahead and tell us what to do." You know, yeah, it, was, it wasn't okay. It wasn't any more complicated than that. I mean, you know, it was, it was, you know, we 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 made our through our way through lots of phonogram money. I would see <laughs> little G Jimmy Summerfield from the Communards or something walking down the hallway at Fontana, you know, and I wanted to pick him up and tweak him, you know, and thank you for making all that money that we're spending, you know. <laughs> Now, it really would have been a better idea if they had, if they had just given us the money and told Probably. us that we could do whatever we wanted with it, you know, and we would have, it would have been better spent. But, um, <laughs> but they were, but you know, they were willing to spend it, and so yeah. you know, what the hell? We were never going to see it. After, you know, after the, you know, the they paid us a ton of money for as an advance and we knew that we were never gonna you know we'd never yeah. see a dime so if they yeah. want to spend the money let's spend the money and see what happens you know i gotta be honest frankly dave david i don't know why any major label would give perubu a bunch of money because yeah. and and i i mean that almost as a compliment whether it's fontana or chrysalis or anyone else because you're not 
going to be played on the radio. Your chances are pretty good that Perubu is not going to have a hit song that's going to enter the top 40, make everyone millions of dollars. So when a label signs you, what are they signed? They have to know what they're getting into. Number one, Dave Bates, who is the head of AR at Fontana. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. He was a great guy. And he he was a fan and he believed in us. He bet. A case, you know, a very expensive champagne with some other A and R guy that he would break Perubu, you know, and huh. of course, of course, he lost. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> but the point is that you know he was extremely successful selling, you know, his his share of crap in the marketplace. You know, tears for fears. Yeah, he wanted to do, and people want to do something other than sell crap. You know, uh-huh. I mean, not that everything he did was crap. They had a lot of actually very good artists, but uh-huh. um, uh, essentially everything that made him money, you know, was, you know, dodgy, yeah. you know. Um, so people like that who are talented and love the business and love, love, you know, that they, they, they're as devoted to what they're doing as yeah. we are to what we do. You know, and, and they want to do something. You know, they want to, yeah. okay, I'll be the man that breaks Perubu, you know. Wow. And then, and that's, that's the, you know, so our, our career is basically built on A, record companies spending money on us so that we attract younger bands who will sell records. Ah, uh, that makes and, sense. And B, you know, um, you know, thinking somebody wanting to do something that, you know, they believe yeah. in. You know, and yeah. So we've made a, you know, we're perfectly happy to take the money under those circumstances, you know, or, or any <laughs> particular, sir, you know, we're not too proud to take the sure. money. You know, so um, it's fine. I'm imagining you've had several then conversations with the major labels where after they've given you the money and after the albums come out, Someone has called you, like a Clive Davis has called David Thompson, Thomas to come into his office and say, you know, no, David, it just didn't work out. We're really no, sorry, they, but we're going to no, have to let you go. Never, everybody who's ever been on the business side of it is is afraid of us. They're scared. Uh, yeah. You know, so it's all done through management and letters and you yeah. know, that sort of stuff, you know, which is fine. I don't, you know, uh-huh. um, but... You know, now I wish, for instance, Dave Bates had uh, had been a bit more involved than than he was. But he was he also for everything that Dave Bates is. And I'm a great admirer of Dave Bates. You know, um, he was scared of us. Uh, He he didn't want to screw us, screw us up. And that's generally how record company people. Nobody wants to be. You know what's his name? Who screwed up Beefheart? Um, Virgin. Uh, oh, uh, Branson, Richard Branson. Yeah, nobody want nobody wants to be Richard Branson. You know, <laughs> he he will never ever ever live that down. You yeah. know, now whether that that exists in the world of, of most people, I'm sure it doesn't. But the people who know, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they know, and he yeah. will never ever live that down. You know, Beefheart has to be a major touchstone to you. When I listen to Perubu, about the one of the only 
comparisons I can make is Beefheart and or Zappa. Are they who made you felt feel empowered to be the artist that you are? I don't, you know, everybody always says Beefheart, you know. Oh, um, really? I was, I was a great admirer of Beefheart. You know, I wasn't I wasn't a devoted fan, you know. Yeah. I, I love Beefheart. How can you not? I mean, the, the man, you know, Trout Mask at Replica is a brilliant album. It's not my favorite album. My favorite right. album is Mirror Man Sessions. Um, but you know, I, I had, I, you know, I, I have, I'm sure still every beef art record there is, you know, um, Uh and, and how can you not like beef art? Now I, I don't know that I'm a particular fan. I've never tried to particularly be influenced by him or anything. Uh Um, it's just, you know, the one thing that Beefheart did was, you know, demonstrate that you could follow your own path, you know, yes. and, and that I think is the greatest, is the greatest influence, for yeah. instance, he would have had on me is that, you know, I can, here's a guy that's just doing what the hell he wants to do, or he's following a different path. And and there, and you can follow different paths, you know, at that yeah. time, at that time, I was in high school. I was a I was a I was a scientist sort of person, and and one of my buddies was into Zappa, and one of my buddies was into Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Oh now, yeah, I didn't think there was any difference between those two. I didn't think to myself, "Oh, Zappa is this, and Herb Alpert is that." I just thought, "Oh, what the hell," you know. Yeah. Um, so that's always that's always been my attitude towards things is that you know uh, I you know I, I don't I don't pigeonhole yeah. pigeonhole things if I you know I I like I like you know everything you know everything that's good I like uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. if it's country or it's blues or it's you know the Carter family or it's uh, Bulgarian women chorus, or you know, on and on and on. Yeah. If it's pop music, you know, I like a lot of pop music. You know, I'm not. Okay. I'm not, I'm not opposed to. A, a, I like. I love the monkeys. I've always yeah. loved the monkeys. You know. Yeah. Uh, I don't see. I, you know, I'm not particularly apologetic about it. I just. Oh, they're great. Know, I, um, I, I like pop music. I also like weird music. Uh-huh. Do you what here's something I was wondering too, and I I hope this isn't a patronizing question, but how do you what how do you think people what should people be doing when they're listening to pair ubu music? They're not gonna be having sex, they're not gonna be dancing, they uh they're not gonna be getting pepped up for the big game, they're not gonna be celebrating winning the big game. So what is the context? What's the scenario where pair ubu music makes the most sense? That I said that Van Dyke Parks had said art is not decoration, you know. Yeah, Uh, okay, that makes sense. So um, you know, all I all I care about is whether you're picking your nose or not and you're listening. You know, children, you know, I have endless reports, you know. Uh, fans whose children just are devoted to Perubu. That's you know, wild. Words and sing along and it can can identify all sorts of things about us, you know. So yeah, <laughs> uh, 
I don't think there's a, there's plenty of people who dance to Perubu. I you know uh. I just don't think there's any there's any particular rules and okay. any any way you enjoy it is fine with me. I yeah you know, just you just make it. it. People decide what they want to do with it. do what i do i don't i don't don't care about you know about pleasing a fan base or doing some you know i'm way past any sort of you know uh any sort of uh commercial um right involvement in the business i just you know i've got a system i've got i've got a life now where i can I can afford to record my records, you know, and yeah. and it's time to make one. I make one, and I and I go to somebody and I say, "You want to put this out?" And they say, "Sure," you know. And so um, it's not terribly complicated. I'm not involved in the business at all, particularly. Right. You know, I don't care about the business. I'm too old to care. You know, I mean, this yeah. is this is you know, I. Eh, if you want, in my opinion, you know, um, the new album is the first punk record in 40 years. You know, <laughs> Perubu finally is now a punk band. We just <laughs> don't give a damn, you know. <laughs> um, um, and 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 that's then we're all happy with that. Everybody in the band has their own their own bands. People say, why have there been so many people in the band? Well, one of the reasons is that we've been around so long, you know, yeah, so you're yeah. through some people. Well, the, one of the other reasons is that most people in the band are band leaders of their own bands. Ah. So, you know, there's only a certain amount of time that you can devote, you know, yeah. and and eventually it just comes to be a parting of parting of ways, you know. It's yeah. always it's generally always amicable and and time just runs out for a particular yeah. project, you know. That makes sense. Um, I the my understanding was that the last album, the last goodbye, was likely going to be the final Perubu album, and now there's no, this one. No, it was never meant as the final Perubu album. Oh, I thought it might have been. Okay, times we had to, no matter how many times we said that. In advance or along the way, it you know it, it just was pointless. You know, yeah. Uh, what I did say is that it was the end of it was the wrap. It was wrapping up various themes and stories that had been going on for forty years. You know that uh-huh. it was it was the final chapter in that book, and that and that we were going to start a new book. You know, uh-huh. and 
It was all, you know, there was, there was a new Perubu. There's always been new Perubus, but yeah. the previous incarnations or iterations, um, you know, there were stories that got got slopped over and continued on and, and uh-huh. grew and developed over time. Well, all of the stories were tied together and completed for the long goodbye. So mm-hmm. you know, okay. that's that's you know, but no, everybody always wanted it to be the final record. Everybody's anxious that I do my final record so they can get <laughs> so they can get rid of me, you know, and they don't have to worry about me anymore. Well, I'll I'll outlive them all, you know. I, you know, they can't kill me, you know. I've died died twice already. Dying, death ain't a big deal, you know. (laughs) You know, it's not so much fun. Uh Um, I, you know, I I mean, I've got terrible, and I've got kidney failure, and I'm on Uh dialysis, and I've got all sorts of things that. You know, but I'll 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 outlive I'll outlive you all. That's basically. crazy. Yeah. So what is I I was going to ask you about that, David? Because I mean, you know, you're getting to be you're starting to look like the old bluesmen that you kind of probably emulated or aspired to be when you were younger. And uh, so, what is the fate of an album like this? Do you go out and perform it? Do you still put on well, shows gonna, very often? Yeah, we yeah. I mean, most of the albums recorded. We we did a series of shows at a small sort of bespoke um, improv club over in okay. London, and, and most of the albums recorded at that show, at those at those shows or at shows we did for the live stream thing. Um, so yeah, we've got a, we've got three big shows coming up. In June, you know, London, New York, and Los Angeles. There's talk of um, this. Where was it? She just mentioned. Oh, this talk of Texas, and oh, we were offered San Francisco, and you know, we've just discovered that the the second largest um, concentration of iTunes. Listeners in the world is in Tokyo, so oh. um, we're looking at we're looking at Tokyo again, and um, so but we you know we're 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 being very we're tending to be very careful about things. We don't want to get get out past what 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 we can bear. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so we're doing three in June. And it looks like other things are coming up for later on in the year. You know, okay. so, well, you know, we're not against it. It's just a at this point, you got to pay us a lot of money. <laughs> we're not, <laughs> not going to go out and tour. I mean, we I can't tour. Sure, I mean, I sure. I can do maybe a week pushing it. Yeah. Um, but the days of 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 two month tours are. For for piddling, yeah. you know, for piddly bits of money is all that's gone. You know, yeah. you, you want us, you pay. Otherwise, yeah. we don't. Care. I'm happy <laughs> sitting here, you know, working on my <laughs> in my studio. I don't care. Yeah. Speaking of sitting there, how long have you lived in the UK? I didn't know you lived there. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Since the early '80s. Um, really? Yeah. Um, that long. Uh. I. 
I, before the COVID thing, I would get back to America, to my home in America, three or four times a year. Yeah. I mean, I have a home in America, and I have a home here. Okay. I haven't been back to America in three or four years at this point. Yeah. How long COVID thing is. So this June trip will be the first time in quite a long time. Did you, what brought, <clears throat> what brought someone like you to the UK? Was it a, did you find a greater art? artistic community that you could relate to did you oh, no, my wife was my wife was an only child and she she had to get back to her parents okay um her her you know her father was old and dying and uh well he died and uh -huh. uh, and she had to get back to to look after her mother so we just moved here okay okay something else i was curious about you sort of touched on this earlier when you were talking about stephen haig and and you were sort of saying that you even like some pop music. Like, do you do you like the bands that someone like Stephen Haig would have worked with, like New Order or Pet Shop Boys and OMD? You Boys? like? Yeah, I love the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like them a lot. Um, uh huh. Only, you know, you got to remember he did um, what's that transmission? What's that band? Uh, Manchester. Uh, Oh, um, uh, Manchester. I don't. Uh, which one are we talking about? I want to say Law and Order. That's not their name. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a. It was the band in the seventies, and the singer died. Um, and then oh, um, um, Joy Division. New yes. Order. Yes. New Order. Joy. You know, he did New Order. I mean, he. You know, uh, he's. I. I. I like the pitch. I like a lot of the bands he's done. Okay. Okay. Because when I listen to, again, going back, whenever I listen to Perubu, I always almost think this feels like a guy who's trying to kind of rip apart what pop music is or what music even, music itself is capable of being and then put it back together the way he sees well, it. I mean, the, 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 the secret motto for this record was the modern dance marked the end of rock and roll. Uh, Trouble on Big Street marks the end of the song. Uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, there's always uh, there's always you know we're you know we we grew up with pop music you know we yeah. you know AM radio uh, we know what pop music is we're just not good enough to make good pop music you know? <laughs> we, you know, we don't we don't have the we don't have the patience or the whatever it is uh, to see it through we yeah just. We always end up screwing it up, you know. Yeah, and, you know, that's just what we do, you know. If you I, want to screw up, screw up pop music. Let Perry Boy lose something. <laughs> that's so true. Okay, I want to ask you about a couple of your songs, um, like what where they came from. If you remember anything about creating them, one in particular, "Sentimental Journey."
off of you know the the first album. I know what it's off of yeah. Um, okay, for, I'm well, saying that for the listeners in case they don't know. There's all that broken glass. I mean, it's very music concrete. It's avant garde. That that sentimental journey used to be a. The studio had a huge stone fireplace and. I just thought there should be broken glass. But the thing that I really liked about it is that at the end of the broken glass, you hear the glass being swept up. You know, and <laughs> that was the that was that was the joke, you know. It, that was the punchline in that song is that yeah, you can break the glass and make a big de- stinking deal, but somebody's <laughs> gotta sweep it up. You know, and they 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 were they were pulling bits of glass out of that fireplace. For, for decades after uh-huh. that. I mean, it, was, uh, it was a mess. I believe it. I believe it. Also, I was listening back to one of the albums that I've, of Parubus that I got when I first discovered you was Pennsylvania. That was a lot of fun too. So many of your albums are really long, you know, they've got like, like the current album even has, I think there's a 10 song vinyl version and then like a 17 song CD version. And it keeps, you know, what were the nineties like for you? That post Cloudland period? Well, no, it wasn't post Cloudland. It was post CD. It was post album. Ah, Okay. You know, albums had to albums can't be much more than thirty-five minutes. You know, yeah, yeah. forty minutes pushing it. Uh-huh. You know, so um, you know, most of our career, well, certainly the middle part of it was all CDs. So there, yeah. there were no longer, there was no limitation on how long you could run. Could there was no, there was no limitation on on the length of the album now. You know, I so this album we just just wrote and wrote and wrote. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. just um, well we it, we came up with song after song, and it was I didn't want to do even if I could have put seventeen songs on vinyl, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have wanted to do it. I was I had to be convinced to, uh-huh. to put out the, the extra seven songs because. One thing I discovered, and I don't know if it's true or not, but if it's if if your album is too long, people get tired of it. That's true. You know, yeah, it's better to get in there, hit them hard, and get out. You know. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, it, uh, everybody wanted. You know, you can't you can't lose those songs, and you know, and blah 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 blah. Uh-huh. blah, blah. You know, so. Yeah, we put them on the CD. Okay, okay. All right, I got two left. Uh, one, what's that? What's next for you? I mean, Trouble on Big Beat Street kind of comes out of nowhere, and it sounds just like what you imagine Perubu to sound like. Are you 
do you feel like this is the beginning of another, are, do you have another album in you or are you sort of tapering off and winding down? Number one, I, I never have another album in me. It's uh, just after a while, it becomes time to, to you know, to make a new record. And that's just sort of the way my life has been the last 40 years. I make a record, I go out and tour and I come uh-huh. home. And it's time after a while, it's time to do a never a record. I mean, that's the problem with never selling a lot of anything. Uh, I don't sell a lot of anything. I just have a lot that I sell a little of. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that, you know, that keeps the wolf from the door. Yeah, you know? yeah. I don't know how much longer, you know, uh, I just don't see because, you know, obviously we've discussed this among my friends and family and stuff that, you know, my health is for shit now. And, uh-huh. um, you know, how much longer can I keep doing it? Well, that's fine. I, I, I took up a hobby, which was model trains. You know, oh. I sit there and the train goes around the track and I build, yes. I build the scenery and all that. And I think to myself, am I really going to sit here the rest of my life? And, <laughs> you know, as much as I the trains give me a lot of joy, you yeah. know, just sitting there as they go around the track, you yes. know, am I really just going to do that the rest of my life? Well, no, I'm not. I can't. Uh, I, I work. This is what I do, yeah. you know, for better or worse. Now, oh, I, I may, love that. I may be a time when I'm done, you know, and I feel like I just can't do this anymore. Yeah. But, but we're not there yet. That doesn't mean that I'll stop recording. For instance, I can yeah. record. I can record any time of the day, any day of the week. You know. Yeah. But going out and promoting the damn thing and all that. Sure. You know. Sure. Well, and I'm guessing because your songs are, to my ears, more improvisational. Maybe there's a there's less of a fussiness. You could just have an idea and record it and put it down, and then maybe it becomes a song. Maybe it doesn't. You talk about model trains. That's so interesting. I love that stuff. When I was a little boy, there was a kid. My favorite, my best friend down the street. His dad had a whole room that was made up of just, and in the middle of the room was a foosball table. And so we would, me and my friend Matt would play foosball with the train going around us. That was heaven to me when I was like nine years old, you know? Model trains are a lot of fun. And then you get into the, you know, you build a little town. Yes, yes. The actual amount of time you spend with the model train is many a school compared to the amount of time it takes you to build a a station in a parking lot. Yes. You've got to put the lines, you know, the parking line. Paint everything. Do you do all that, David? Huh? Do you make all that stuff? Do you make the towns and everything? Some of it I buy kits. Some of it I make. Depends on what it is. The combination of the two. Do you have like a whole room that you put all this stuff in? No, I'm already, I've got a, I've just got one table, large sort of table, and I'm already planning on how to expand it. But I don't have any room. You know, uh, it's in my yeah. bedroom. And I don't, there's no room left in there. The amount of yeah. crap in this house is unbelievable. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, more albums and music. You've been a rock stuff. star for 45 years. So there's a lot of yeah, stuff in I've there. Got, I've got all this crap, you know, and it's <laughs> everywhere. I can't, yeah. I can't move. Yeah. Um, okay. One other question I wanted to ask. As I mentioned and touched on earlier, there's always been, I feel, a very performance art 
uh, aspect to your music, to your career, to your artistry, what you put out there. Please welcome Per Ubu. Um, was that intentional? Was that is is the full Perubu experience seeing you live? Where the, maybe even less now, but more back then, where there was a performance, there was something to see as well that was driving home. Yeah, well, that, that all that all developed out of necessity. Necessity is the mother of invention because yeah. Alan Alan had this this analog synthesizer that had to be repatched. Everything between songs had to be repatched. Oh. And it would take him sometimes five minutes between songs to to get to patch for the new song. Well, you can't just, if you're the singer, you know, everybody else has instruments they can screw around with pretending to tune and all that sort of stuff. If you're the singer, you got to just stand there, you know, like yeah. an idiot, you know, so... I began to just make noises and to tell stories just to, I mean, to do any, you know, it began pretty simply, you know, just uh -huh. trying to fill the space, uh -huh. you know, and then, then as I developed the technique, it, the whole thing expanded, but, mm -hmm. you know, you know, within the band, a lot of the times they're going, Oh, David, just shut up. You know, <laughs> but you know it's far too late for that. Then you yeah. know, the, the, you, you should have told Alan twenty years ago, just hurry up, huh? Uh -huh. You know, you know. So it's tough. Yeah. You know, I, uh, you know, but it came out. It came about. I had no intention of going out and doing that sort of thing. I just thought, well, I'll get on stage and sing. You know, but. You know, standing there, you have no idea what five minutes on stage in front of an audience at a rock club is an entire lifetime. It's, it's I it, believe it. It's it, it's the definition of eternity. It really goes <laughs> on forever and ever. That's so what I hear. I had, I had to do something. That's interesting. I was watching and getting ready to talk to you. I found this clip of of you guys performing breath on some show called night music mm -hmm. that was hosted by David Sanborn. I didn't even, I, remember. I don't even remember the show, but, oh, yeah. um, yeah. you know, and you were a big guy and there's you just taking up the whole, all the space and with your 
antics and your moves and all this kind of, it was watching you dry is half the fun of listening to Parubu. Well, you know, back when they were doing the blues brothers music, somebody sent John Belushi to come and study me at CBGB's. Really? How a fat guy moves. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much of the, what he picked up, but no, he came <laughs> back with Dan Aykroyd and they were, uh-huh. you know, came backstage and all that shit. Wow. Okay. David, David, this was, I'm sorry. I keep calling you Dave. David, this was so fun. I, um, I want to know what your favorite story is. As we've just touched on, you've been at this for My so long. My favorite story? Yeah. Uh, what? And I, it could be anything. It could be a show you played, a song you wrote, an interaction you had, a groupie you My admired. Favorite My favorite story is the one that goes to Rounder, which is because um, I'm sort of secretly obsessed with um, the Texas psychedelic movements of the 60s. And particularly the possibly apocryphal, but I do believe they actually like Velvet Underground actually toured Texas in the 60s, but I'm not sure of that. Did um, they send out like lookalike bands? Weren't they one of those? I don't know what they did, you know, but yeah. um, they were they were the house they were basically the house band at a place in Cleveland for almost all of 67, 68, um, where um they played Cleveland more than they played New York in that uh, year. Um and that's where Sweet Jane comes from, from uh, Jane Scott. Um and um oh yeah, you know I don't know what they you know, I have no idea what they did, but um but I uh, but my favorite story has to do with Lou Reed and Wilson Pickett meeting on an off night at a motel dust somewhere in panhandle of texas and they hear that george clinton is in town and so they go into town to watch george clinton and they've got to go in juniors coupe de ville because the velvets are touring in a beaten up vw bus and (laughs) junior was not going to be seen dead and such a thing and so um that's my favorite story i love that i love it Um, well david there's never been anything like anyone like you never has been never will be there is no one like perubu and so and i find you all the good that does me right (laughs) you're a fascinating figure thank you so much for chatting with me i've been alive thank you thank you for your time you bet we'll talk to you later all right there you have it david thomas the one and only really i mean Nobody sees the world, let me rephrase that. No one sees music like David Thomas. No one ever has, just him. He is a unique and solely individual creative person. There's no one else like David Thomas. And he's still at it in his 70s, it's crazy. I wanna close it out, I, we, I mean, I don't know that you got a full breadth of of the range of Perubu's music. So I wanted to play something. This came out, this is on their album from 2013 called Lady from Shanghai. And this <laughs> this song is called Musicians Are Scum, which of course David Thomas would put out a song called Musicians Are Scum. All right. Anyway, Trouble on Beat Beat, Big Beat Street. Check them out. Let me know what you think. Uh, you might love it. You might not like it at all, but it's individual and you cannot deny it. Now, next week, we have rock royalty, really. Um, This person, 
I think should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They've been a member of two of the biggest rock bands ever, and this person isn't, and I think they should be. Maybe you'll disagree, I don't know. But it's the this person is behind some of the greatest rock and roll music ever created in history. That's who's coming up next week. Now, this is the last week of having our guest producers, and I want to give a huge thank you to James Milton for stepping in for this week. James uh, became one of our listeners, and afterwards, we realized we live a few blocks from each other. We're in the same neighborhood. So we've gone to concerts and everything. I'm grateful for James, and I'm grateful that he stepped up. Yan should be back next week. Um, we might do this again. I mean, it's been really handy having other people give their voice and their, you know, angle on how this show should sound and i'm grateful for all of you i may ask you to do it again sometime maybe we'll have like a round robin every month or something like that i don't know but anyway huge thanks to james to james you guys can like our page on facebook you can send us a message on there you can send us an email at the at gmail.com or you can find us on twitter at the hustle pod all right thanks everybody we love you a lot Take your place at the back of the queue. So, honey, I can think about you. Why don't you get in line with all those lovers whose lives I've ruined? I swear to you that it was love. Only it was not lust Why don't you get in line now With all those others Whose lives I have ruined I can see You did not believe me You don't remember But I do.